0: In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Ashley Robinson Preston, author of Mary McLeod Bethune, The pan Africanist*. How are you doing today?
0: I am great. Thank you so much um, for inviting me to speak with you about my new book. Thank you.
1: I wonder if you could start by telling the audience a little about yourself and how would you get started on this project?
0: Yes, I am an assistant professor of history at Howard University, a proud 2013 graduate of Howard, graduated with my Ph.D. from there. And I have been back at HU for two years. And this book project is actually my fourth book, uh, but my first with an academic press Um, A lot of my research has been focused on Mrs. Bethune. Um, My first book, Mary McLeod Bethune in Florida, um, Bringing Social Justice to the Sunshine State, looks at her work throughout the state, the establishment of her school and her work with women and establishing an all-Black beach. And so um, this project is one that I started around 2010, um, when I was still at Howard, and it has really come full circle um, as I was a student at Howard working on this as a dissertation. Um, but thereafter, or actually during that time, I was also working at the Mary McLeod Bethune Council House in D.C., um, working in the National Archives for Black Women's History, which was on located on the site right behind her house. And it was a great experience to just work in you know, in her home, working with researchers who were coming to learn more about her life and the women who she worked with and National Council of Negro Women. And thereafter, I worked at Bethune Cookman, running Mrs. Bethune's home in Daytona Beach, Florida, the Mary McLeod Bethune Foundation. I was the director there for five years. So this project is not something that, you know, has come overnight. It has really been something I've been working on for years. And also I've Met many people who I knew who or who I, I I'm, who knew Mrs. Bethune. So that has been amazing to kind of take all of those things into account and visiting all of the different archives and finding her story within them. And so this is something I've been working on and I'm really excited uh, for everyone to see her not only as a national figure, but an international figure now.
1: Now, can you tell the audience what is meant by the term Pan-Africanist? Use that in the title.
0: Yes. So I, I start my introduction um, with talking about and really defining Pan-Africanism. Um, and I wanted to be very clear on that. Even in the title, I wanted people to focus on Pan-Africanism and Mrs. Bethune and making that connection between the two. Um, and in the book, I define Pan-Africanism using um, Esa Debe's text, Pan-Africanism. And, it, and it, I quote, Pan-Africanism is a political and cultural phenomenon which regards Africa, Africans, and African descendants abroad as a unit. It seeks to regenerate and unify Africa and promote a feeling of oneness among the people of the African world. Um It talks also about having African pride, pride in African values. And so we see this with Mrs. Bethune stressing that she's African. She talks about her heritage. Um, My original title that I wanted to use was focused on her quote, The Drums of Africa Still Beat in My Heart. And so when we look at this quote, um, she's really saying, I'm not there. I'm not physically there in Africa, but there's a piece of Africa that is in my heart that I am carrying with me. And we see this throughout the book, this strong love for people of African descent and the continent. And really, she does see Africans um, abroad and on the continent as a unit. The African diaspora for her is one. And she talks about how people of African descent have to have to understand each other's issues. Um, she makes it a point in her writings when she travels to Haiti, when she travels to Liberia, when she travels to Cuba. She brings all of those things back as she is a, a columnist in the Chicago Defender and the Pittsburgh Courier. She is enlightening people on the issues that are going on with people of African descent in the places in which she travels. So she sees herself as a link between Africans. She also works to unite African people, particularly um, through her work with NCNW. She writes to um, African women. people of African descent who are abroad and encourage them to become a part of nc and and to really join her organization. So we see her really promoting solidarity among people of African descent. And so this idea of Mrs. Bethune being a Pan-Africanist is something that within each chapter, I am really fleshing out different aspects of Pan-Africanism, promoting solidarity, um, having African pride. I'm, pr- I'm talking about those in each chapter and really pinpointing um, how this is uh, implemented throughout Mrs. Bethune's work.
1: Now, could you tell us about Mrs. Bethune's early life in South Carolina and her connection to Africa at an early age?
0: Yes, yeah, so I really wanted to Focus in on South Carolina and really take some time with that. South Carolina is a unique space. Um, You have Charleston, the largest slave port in the United States. Um, How many people of African descent um, came through South Carolina, came through Charleston? And as they were coming through South Carolina, What did they leave in terms of their culture, in terms of, you know, what they what what made them as people? And so you have South Carolina as an important space as it relates to African culture with enslaved people who have come into the state. You also have the Gullah Coast um, people of African descent who have done an excellent job at retaining their culture and through their song, through their language. I mean, we have a lot of that. And it's probably about a 100 miles away from where Mrs. Bethune was born. And then we have these rebellions. You have Stonewall Rebellion, um, a slave revolt that took place um, during the 1700s in South Carolina. You have Denmark V.C. who planned a rebellion against slavery. And so all of these things are, have happened in South Carolina, um, making it a place that would really cultivate activism um, and would give Mrs. Bethune a strong sense of self. And so she's the 15th of 17 children, the first of her parents' children in South Carolina to be born into freedom. And so that's another thing that makes her so great. She is the firstborn free in her family. She talks in uh, interviews. She says, my mother came down from one of the great royalties of Africa. So she is constantly um, discussing this connection to Africa by way of her mother. Um, And that's something that she grows up with knowing in South Carolina And also she encounters Dr. John Wesley Edward Bowen, a minister who speaks about the importance of going to Africa to do missionary work. So these are two significant aspects of Africa really being brought into her world. In this small town of Maysville, South Carolina, where she grows up, she encounters her mother who is telling her about being from one of the great royalties of Africa. And she also encounters a minister who shows her the importance of going back to the continent. And so her early life was filled with conversations about another world, about being a descendant of this great place called Africa.
1: Black history. What did Mrs. Bethune believe concerning the Black history stories?
0: She was very much a proponent of teaching Black history um, in her school. When we think about the early years of the Daytona Literary and Industrial School for the training of Negro girls, that was the one of the earlier names of her school before it became Bethune Cookman. But she is teaching Black history within her school, even though we, we, we often think with industrial schools that there is a focus on just using your hands, but she is very much a proponent of her students learning Black history. And we see um, her not just doing this in the classroom and in her school, but also she supports the work of the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History which is now known as the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, ASALA. But she works alongside Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who we now know as the father of Black history. But she is the president of his organization from 1936 to 1951. So for almost 15 years, she is one of the major supporters of ASALA. And her and Dr. Woodson were very close. Um, Their homes were actually around the corner from each other in DC. And I've gotten a chance to listen to some of the transcripts, um, transcripts of interviews of people who knew Dr. Woodson. And they talked about seeing Mrs. Bethune and how she was one of the only people that could call him by his first name. So she is a proponent of Black History, a major supporter of Asala. And in fact, in 1937, Dr. Woodson creates the Black History Bulletin really at the urging of Mrs. Bethune, um, who encourages him to create a publication that would really serve the needs of um, general readers and teachers. And so the Black History Bulletin which started as the Negro History Bulletin was really an idea that Mrs. Bethune came up with for the association.
1: National Council of Negro Women, December 5th, 1935. Women were involved in male led organizations, and there was the Great Depression. How did she get women to join?
0: Yeah, you know, when I look at NCNW, I, I mean, really, Mrs. Bethune. When we think about 1935, when we think about the Great Depression and all that was going on, I mean, it was really bold of her to decide to start NCNW. And so this is something that she had really been thinking about for some years, had been kind of, you know, thinking about this this idea of a council, a umbrella organization. And so in 1935, by this By this time, she was already a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She's an honorary member. She's also the past president of the National Association of Colored Women, a premier black women's organization. She's a college president. And she's also about to become one of the most influential leaders because of her work with the Roosevelt administration. Um, So her network was wide. I mean, she was known as someone who would get things done. When you look at the headquarters of the National Association of Colored Women, that was something that Mrs. Bethune, uh, that she worked on and was able to secure during her presidency of NACW. So she was a known leader, a known person that was Doing great things. And so, of course, there was some resistance from some people, uh, like Miss Mary Church Terrell, which was actually one of her good friends. But they knew that Miss Bethune was a leader and that her vision of having an organization that was more involved with governmental affairs was a great next step. And it really turned out to be uh, an amazing organization that was very appealing to women, also because. She wasn't necessarily asking them to leave their organizations. The council was to unite all organizations, and um, one of the significant people that I talk about in terms of internationalizing the work of National Council of Negro Women, I talk about Miss Sue Bailey Thurman in the book. Um, this is. She's the wife of uh, a noted theologian, Dr. Howard Thurman, who's actually from Daytona Beach, Florida, and he actually knew Mrs. Bethune from his childhood. But in 1939, Mrs. Bethune appoints her to be the Afro-American journal editor. And Afro-American, I talk about it in the, the book, it is the Journal of National Council of Negro Women. And uh, Miss Thurman, she really takes the organization to great heights because of her international work. She was a former YWCA secretary. Um, she traveled to India with her husband and met Gandhi. So she was very, um, very, very knowledgeable of what was going on around the world. And in 1940, she spearheaded a trip to Cuba for NCW. And this is really a turning point for the organization as far as uh, making those connections abroad. Mrs. Bethune, by this point, she had traveled, but the organization in CNW as a group, um, this was one of the first times that they're going out of the country. And so they met with the Women's Cultural Association, which was an Afro-Cuban feminist organization, and they were able to have conversations about the plight of Afro-Cubans. They were also able to share their experiences as Black women and to really talk about, you know, what is going on, how do we unite, how do we help each other? And the Afro-American Journal actually captured the trip. And so, again, we see Mrs. Bethune and the NCNW bringing back to um, African Americans, bringing back conversations about race, conversations about history, conversations that will allow them to gain insight on the experience of Afro Cubans. And so this journal, you know, she has them to translate certain portions of it into Spanish and French with the idea that the journal could go places that those women may not have been able to travel But this journal would be the voice and it was not something that she wanted to limit to the United States. This is one of those very, very excellent opportunities to internationalize and to really give a strong focus on what is going on with people of African descent throughout the diaspora within the journal.
1: In your book, you talk about uh, the United Nations and how she became a delegate to the United Nations. Can you tell us that story?
0: Yeah, so she was a part of the NAACP delegation alongside Walter White and W.E.B. Du Bois in 1945 when she attended the founding of the United Nations. And so she had been a member of the NAACP. She had been a Spengarn Award member uh, winner. And she served on the board of directors. And so, initially, in order to attend the founding of the UN, she had contacted the Office of the Secretary of State to try to get representation for NCW, um, but she was actually denied. So, ultimately, it was her relationship with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt that allowed her to be an associate consultant for the founding of founding charter of the UN. And it is there that she speaks out on the issue of colonization. And so it was uh, a challenge for her to be in this space, but for Mrs. Bethune, she understood that if there was an opportunity for African-Americans to share their knowledge, to share where they stood, to speak up for justice on the international stage, she knew that she needed to be there and she pressed her way and was able to be in San Francisco.
1: Haitian Medal of Honor and Merit, tell us about her award and her connection to the people in Haiti.
0: So this was an award that was established in 1926. Mrs. Bethune is uh, awarded the Haitian Medal of Honor and Merit in 1949. And she's also invited by the government for a 10-day visit to accept the award and to learn more about Haiti and its culture. And so this is a place that she writes um, about her trip. She writes about Haitian history. Um, She tries to, to really give people... Uh, an inside look in regards to her trip to Haiti. And she is just so impressed with Haitian people once she goes to the country. I mean, I think what she was most impressed with was just seeing Haitian people, just seeing African people, people of African descent in charge, in leadership. I mean, it was, you know, seeing a black president, seeing, you know, them, running all of the different levels of their government. I mean, that was just amazing for her. And she talks very highly about the trip to Haiti once she returns. And in her column in the Chicago Defender, she actually challenges African-Americans to go to Haiti and also to learn more about the culture and about its people. So, again, we see her. Trying to really promote solidarity between African Americans and Haitians, and also on her trip, she is not there just to accept an award. I mean, she's visiting orphanages. She is really trying to see, you know, what are some things that need to be done, and how can she help? So upon returning, she also uh, challenges NCNW to partner with her to raise money to um, help with this uh, orphanage in Haiti. So it was a very transformative trip for her. And she really enjoyed uh, visiting Haiti, learning more about it. And she also met with many women who were there. Again, she sees herself as a link between people of African descent and encourages those women to, to join her also as NCNW members.
1: Now, what was Mrs. Bethune doing the day she passed away?
0: So I talk about this in my first book, Mary McLeod Bethune in Florida, Bringing Social Justice to the Sunshine State. Interestingly enough, when I was in Daytona, I met many people who knew Mrs. Bethune. And one of the people that I met was her last secretary, Miss Senorita Locklear. And she has to be about 96. 95 by now. But she told me about being her secretary, how they would pray and do a devotional every morning and how that was how they always started the day. And she talked about how on the last day that she was alive, she asked, she had three requests. One of those requests was that she wanted to read over her will. She had a new will that had been written up and she wanted to read over it. I think she said she wanted to sign it, but she never got a chance to sign it. She also wanted to read back over the book that she was working on with Rackham Holt, um, an author that was doing a biography on Mrs. Bethune. And she said, I've read all the chapters individually, but I want to read, I want you to read them out to me um, all together today. And it it was something that she had not requested before. And so those are two of the three requests um, that Mrs. Bethune made on her last day that she was alive. And I'll let you all list, read the book to hear the third request.
1: Now, what message do you want the reader to leave with once they finish your book?
0: I hope that people will really begin to See the real importance of Mrs. Bethune's activism um, and her leadership, not just here in the United States, but around the world. I mean, she was so ahead of her time. She was someone that was thinking about the generations that were coming behind her. And I just don't know that we have given her her just um, due. Uh, when we think about people who are being named on Black History Month, when we think about Dr. King, Mrs. Parks, Miss um, Harriet Tubman, uh, all of those different people, she should always be in that list, and not just for her work here, but her work abroad. I mean, her work with presidents in Haiti, her work with the president of uh, Liberia. I mean, she is someone that we have to learn more about her life and we have to recognize her and take her out of the box as being someone who did one thing because she did so many great things. And at the end of the day, she really just wanted to unite people of African descent. She wanted to promote pride in Africa. And she wanted people to just see the positives about the diaspora and to learn more about the plight of people of African descent and to see, you know, how we solve these issues. And so she was, she was concerned, not just about people of, of African descent in the United States, but everywhere. And we see this within her work, within her travels and her writings.
1: Again, we want to thank you for being on the podcast. And we have been talking with Dr. Ashley Robinson Preston, the author of Mary McLeod Bethune, the Pan-Africanist. Thank you. Thank you.